Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. The show covering all things health, wellness, culture, and more. The show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. Each week, we'll interview superstars, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all related to this wonderful experience of getting better, not just older. Now, here's your host, the award-winning Paul Vogelzang. Welcome to the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast where Black History Month 2024 comes alive through the stories that shaped our world. Today's episode takes us back to a pivotal yet often underrepresented chapter in American history, starring one of our most fearless figures, Harriet Tubman, known for her indomitable spirit in leading slaves to freedom through the Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman's legacy extends far beyond. You're just going to be amazed at this episode. And in this episode, we will delve deep into a crucial and audacious even phase of Harriet Tubman's life, her role during the Civil War, particularly in the Combahee River Raid. This event, not just a mere footnote in history, saw Harriet Tubman not only guiding slaves to freedom, but actively shaping the course of the war. We're joined by Smithsonian associate, historian, and author Etta Fields Black, a descendant, an actual descendant of one of the soldiers who fought in these raids, and a consultant for the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. We are celebrating Black History Month 2024, and Etta Fields Black's insights drawn from her book, Combi, Harriet Tubman, The Combahee River Raid and Black Freedom During the Civil War, along with previously unexamined documents, bring this new amazing dimension to our understanding of these events. Etta Fields Black will shed light on how Harriet Tubman commanded a network of spies and scouts and her role in liberating over 750 individuals in a single daring expedition. This is just amazing. We should have learned this in school, but Etta Fields Black is here to tell us all about it. She will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up. So please check out the Smithsonian Associates website for more details. But we have Etta Fields Black today in honor of Black History Month 2024. Let's listen as Etta Fields Black reads a brief passage from her wonderful book, Combi, Harriet Tubman, The Combahee River Raid and Black Freedom During the Civil War, hearkening back to a time of enslavement And when slaves returned to slave territory, a very exclusive club of Harriet Tubman's brigade. In the documented history of the New World, a very small number of Black people who were born and reared in bondage and then escaped enslavement later went back into slave territory. Today, we'd call it a very exclusive club. Tubman and the black men who escaped in the Cumbie River Raid and who then enlisted in the 2nd South Carolina Volunteers were anomalies even among black abolitionists who lectured about the evils of enslavement and worked to end it for all. Most black abolitionists were born enslaved. However, they did not go back into the land of bondage to bring enslaved people out. Not Henry Highland Garnett, 
Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, or Henry Box Brown, for example. Tubman and the Black men enslaved on the Cumbie were part of a small number among the four million people enslaved in the United States when the Civil War broke out in 1861, who were willing to go back into the slave societies after they had liberated themselves. The potential consequences of failure were catastrophic. Recapture, physical torture, and sail to the Deep South forever, severed from family and friends and community. In the long history of Black freedom, the Cumbie River Raid belongs in the same spectrum as the Stono Rebellion, Tacky's Revolt in Jamaica, Denmark Bessie's Conspiracy, and Nat Turner's Rebellion. Because of her revolutionary activities, Tubman was more akin to the Stono leader Jimmy, Tacky, Denmark Vesey, Nat Turner, and her hero, John Brown, than she was to abolitionists like Frederick Douglass. To Tubman, as to the men of the South, Second South Carolina and the First South Carolina, and to all of the other more than 180,000 black men who went to war and whose military service had a significant impact on the Union war effort, black freedom meant that they had to be willing to put it all on the line, risking their freedom and maybe even their very lives for the freedom of others. Put it all on the line Tubman did when effectively she led the largest and most slave, successful slave revolt in U.S. history second only to the Haitian Revolution in the entire New World. Tacky, Vesey, Turner, and Brown, along with most of the people who plotted and fought with them, were martyred. Tubman helped to bring 756 enslaved people out of bondage without the U.S. forces losing a single life. That, of course, was our guest today, Smithsonian Associate Etta Fields Black, reading from her new book, Combi, Harriet Tubman, The Combahee River Raid, and Black Freedom During the Civil War. Through this episode, we're not just revisiting history, though. We are uncovering the layers of bravery, strategy, and humanity that defined Harriet Tubman's life. Her story resonates deeply, especially with our community of listeners of the Smithsonian Associates audience reminding us that the pursuit of freedom and change knows no age. So please stay with us as we explore this extraordinary tale of courage, leadership, and liberation. It's a testament to the enduring power of Harriet Tubman's human spirit. This is the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast for Black History Month 2024. Let's begin. Smithsonian Associate Etta Fields Black, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. It is so nice to talk to you, too. I hope your day's going well. I have to congratulate you right out of the gate for your wonderful book. I'm going to pronounce it Combi. Is that is that right? It's a wonderful that's, story about Harriet Tubman. Yeah, that's please. correct. Okay, good. You could Combi, or it's more of a U sound, Combi. Combi. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, your new book about it, uh, about Harriet Tubman. I want to get into all of that, but why don't we start by just telling us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? Uh, we're all on Zoom 
these days. You're going to be on Zoom mm-hmm. with us too. But the title of the presentation is Harriet Tubman, Union Spy. Maybe take us just briefly through that. Maybe share with us uh, what you're going to say and, and maybe visually what we're going to see. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the Cumbie River Raid, which really begins with the Battle of Port Royal. Uh, in November of 1861, when the U.S. Navy of its armada up Port Royal Sound, and the planters, the Sea Island cotton planters on the coast, fled, and about 8,000 enslaved people were left in Beaufort, Port Royal, and on the Sea Island. So we've got to talk about that because it's during that social movement that Harriet Tubman comes down to Beaufort, South Carolina. And I'm going to share some of my new findings about Tubman's role in the Civil War. And throughout this, I'll on Zoom be sharing uh, images from the book. These are a variety of images. Some are photographs, some uh, photographs of various people, primarily abolitionists, and Tubman, of course. Um, And then we're going to head to Beaufort and we'll talk about what happens after the raid what happens to the freedom seekers, um, the speech that Tubman gave at a church in Beaufort, and the 150 Cumbie men who joined, enlisted into the 2nd South Carolina Volunteers. And like Tubman, and like the 2nd South Carolina men who fought in the raid, and the 180,000-plus black soldiers who fought in the Civil War in the U.S. Colored We will talk about how they risked their freedom and risked their lives for the freedom of others. Just fascinating. Such an important part of our history. Many in our audience, of course, will be familiar with Harriet Tubman, but may not be, as I was not, familiar with this particular role during the Civil War. You know, first-person accounts that you've assembled even some photos of, of the sites of Combahee River. All of this great research. Again, congratulations on this work. But maybe tell Thank us, you. of course, what was Harriet Tubman's role in this within the Civil War? Because it's very it's significant, but, but as I say, I was unaware. It seems to almost be an overlooked chapter in her life. Yes, I would argue that it's probably the least known chapter of her life, um, primarily because her role as a Union spy is not recorded in the military record. Her role in the Cumbie Raid is not recorded in the military record, and thus it's easy to overlook because most historians who are studying the Civil War are have been studying, say, the battles and the generals and the whatever, they're looking at the military record. There's actually very little, one paragraph in the official military record, and it's not even in the official military record, but one paragraph from the Union side about the Cumbie Raid. Um, So very, very little coverage there. Um, Tubman's role during the Civil War, what do you... So she's sent down in May of 1862. She arrives... She's sent by the governor of Massachusetts, John Andrew, to work as a spy for the Union gover- for the Union Army. She actually plays a number of roles 
as did several as as did a number of women who were um, in Buford on the Sea Islands in Port Royal during the Port Royal experiment. So Tubman works as a nurse. She works as a cook. She works as a laundress. Um, her primary role, however, is as a spy and a scout. Harriet Tubman worked at the um, refugee camps in Buford. So people who are coming straight from Confederate territory are coming to the camps and they're sorted, right? Their needs are assessed. And from there, they're sent to other places for the most part. And Tubman's interviewing these people. She's interviewing these people and she is um, gathering intelligence and passing this intelligence on to um, military commanders. Tubman gave a speech to the freedom seekers at a church in downtown Buford and was instrumental in recruiting the 150 black men, Cumbie men, to join the U.S. colored troops, to join the South Carolina volunteers. They were known at the time and to hmm. fight for the freedom of others. It, it, just an exciting story, too. It had to be personally exciting for you, too, from a, from a genealogy standpoint. You, in fact, are a descendant of one of these soldiers who fought in the raid. That must have been amazing to have found. But how did that influence some of your research and, and even your perspective on Harriet Tubman? Finding my ancestor, Hector, mm -hmm. was a very happy occurrence. Mm -hmm. And it was also an finding of the research. Um, and I, I'm not the one who found him. I, I collaborated for the book and um, to use the pension files, which are the basis of the book, mm -hmm. with the International African American Museum's Center for Family History. And they have a U.S. Civil War pension file project in which they are collecting all of the pension, available pension files for the South Carolina uh, black regiments. I was working with my friend, Tony Carrier, who was at the time the director of the Center for Family History. And we, you know, my dad's family is from the area, uh, both of his parents, daddy was born there. Um, and we suspected, we suspected that Hector may have fought in the raid. We knew that there was a Hector Fields who had a, a military service record from the Civil War. But there were a lot of Hector Fields's, it seemed to me, in the census, and we couldn't tell if they were all one person or, and if that person or any of them were actually my ancestor. And it was really Toni Carrier, all the pieces together. And she put the pieces together through another pension file, Hector, because Hector didn't have a pension file, um, but she, I like to say, Tony must have stayed up all night over a weekend, mm -hmm. stayed up for a weekend, and read all of the field's files in the South Carolina black regiments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and wow. she came up with Jonas Fields, who uh, was Hector's brother. Huh. And in that file, their sister testifies, and she 
lies about her two brothers and her parents where she, her brother Jonas, her parents were enslaved. She mentions her brother Hector and she says that after the war, her two brothers, Hector and Jonas, to Whitehall, which is in Colleton County, to live on Hayward's rice fields. Well, that's where my my dad's, my grandfather, paternal grandfather's family lives now. And we didn't know they were in Beaufort. You know, we didn't know anything about, we only knew Hector's direct line, his son, and going straight down to my dad. We didn't know Hector had siblings. We didn't know parents. We don't, didn't know Hector's other children. We just knew father to son from Hector to my dad. This pension file opened up my whole family. You know, now I'm going back four generations. I am, you know, deep into slavery um, with my fourth great-grandparents. And it's a long file. It's about 200 pages. There, I, There's a number of people who come to testify Jonas who testified to being enslaved by the same family and in the same place as And so, and I, you know, more information about the sister Phoebe where she was enslaved. Not as much about Hector, but, you know, their parents, his parents and their two siblings. Um, and so it was the beginning of an enslaved community and finding that pension file gave me the inkling that through these pension files, I would be able to reconstruct the, the enslaved communities on the lower Cumbie, which escaped in the raid. And that's what I did. It took a lot of other but those pension files were were the foundation, and um, it was really my own ancestors' pension file which opened my eyes to that possibility. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Dr. Etta Fields-Black. Dr. Fields-Black will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates. Coming up, please check our show notes for more information about Dr. Etta Fields-Black and her presentation titled Harriet Tubman Union Spy. It's just going to be an amazing presentation, which is some some incredible research that you've done. I, I found, too, you, you seem to do it all, Dr. Fields-Black. You're, you're also the executive producer and librettist of Unburied, Unmourned, Unmarked, Requiem for Rice, a contemporary classical and multimedia symphonic work. Congratulations on all of this work that you do and the wonderful book that is titled Combi, the uh, story of Harriet Tubman, the Combi River Raid, and the Black Freedom during 
the Civil War. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about Harriet Tubman, and in, in particular from the story, how did she, because we, we talked about your your genealogical, your ancestry, your your family members who, who fought alongside and, and became soldiers during these raids, how did Harriet Tubman managed to do all of these things in the same way that you're doing all these things, command a ring of spies, scouts, and, and pilots. And maybe what does this tell us about her own leadership capability, her strategic skills? She was quite a person. Yes, yes, she was. Um, just a phenomenal person. And a woman who was led by her faith, um, and by her very close and personal relationship with God, and that gave her strength. It gave her, gave her a fearlessness that other people, you know, really couldn't fathom. Um, it's interesting because on the Underground Railroad, Tubman was working primarily with members of her community. These were people who were from the general area where she herself had born and grown up in bondage. They were they were community members. They were church members, you know. And family, I speak in terms of her, her nuclear siblings and their spouses, um, but also in terms of extended kin networks, her nieces and her. Ne- her nieces and, and great nieces and nephews. But when she goes down to South Carolina, these are people she doesn't know, right? And she, she, she tells her biographer that she couldn't understand those people. And those people really couldn't understand her either. And they laughed when she talked. And um, it sounds like she was chuckling too when they talked. Was what they had in common the desire for freedom, the longing for freedom. And the other thing that Harriet had in common with the people whom she met who were already free, and I'm thinking of the freedom seekers who are, you know, whom she's interviewing as they're coming into the refugees in Buford. I'm thinking in particular about the black soldiers in the first, second, third South Carolina volunteers who were formerly enslaved, right? They were formerly enslaved. I'm thinking about her spy scouts and pilots Mm -hmm. who were all formerly enslaved like her. What they all had in common, whether they had, you know, their dialects or not, Mm -hmm. freedom, and their willingness, it was like, it must have been, I can't even describe it, um, but just this commitment to sacrifice everything for their own freedom and the freedom of others. You know, I, I don't think that in today's time we put our heads around that. Mm-hmm, right. There are so many, you know, why not play it safe? Why not be comfortable? Why not stay in Philly, or I would stay in, you know, (laughs) by the water. Right. It's warm. (laughs) And just, where it's warm, (laughs) and just hang out, you know, work and make money. (laughs) No, she couldn't, she didn't do that. She couldn't do that, you know. And so, 
um, that level of empathy and sacrifice just isn't even, it's not big enough. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking for a larger it, the selflessness, mm-hmm. that level of selflessness. And they were risking lives because to these enslaved people, freedom was a fate. I'm, I'm sorry, go, being re-enslaved, enslavement, after they had been free, was a face death, mm-hmm. right? So they their lives because they knew that freedom wasn't free. They knew that until all enslaved people were free, they were not truly free. You've used this number a couple times, 756, and, and, and it's a it's a staggering number. It, it, like you say, it is almost hard for us to get our heads around the liberation of 756 individuals. It, it, it's monumental. It, it had a real impact on the culture, the language, creating a, a distinctly American, I think it's, is it pronounced Gula Geechee language uh, during that time too, that was very unique to the low country? And what yes, other effects? Gullah Geechee. Gullah Geechee, yeah. Mm-hmm. What other impacts and um, maybe longer-term effects on, on our society came as a result of that raid? Hmm. I think that there was a lot of discourse at the time about black soldiers and whether or not they would fight. And this had been shown, you know, the first South Carolina had proven this in Jacksonville on the St. Mary's River, on the St. John's River, um, early 1863. And I think that this was a confirmation that black men fight for their freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, think that it's interesting because this during this civil war moment when you had the union occupation of coastal South Carolina and coastal Georgia then coastal Florida and you have the people from the Cumbie are one of the groups that was brought you know, from the coastal plains, which is the, it's not really the interior, but it's sort of the interior of the coast, if you will. But there are people who the U.S. is bringing in. You know, this is the largest group. They're coming from these outlying coastal regions into U.S.-occupied territory. And so my argument is, is that that territory becomes a crucible for this language and Gullah culture. Mm. So people in Gullah identity, people who are coming from indigo, sea island cotton, rice plantations, you know, there are similarities and differences in their experience during slavery in large part related to, you know, the micro environment that they lived in, whether they're on those right and what they what they were forced to grow, right? Whether on the rice plant 
mm-hmm. where the disease environment was awful and deadly, and particularly for white people, but for black people too, or if they are in healthy, healthier regions, downtown areas, Sea Island cotton plantations, some of the indigo plantations. So there were nuances in their experiences during slavery, in, in large part based on the disease environment and the crops they were forced to grow. But when the U.S. Army occupies territory, nearby territory, these people are all coming in to, to claim their freedom. Um, and it's within that territory and during this time period when they're all kind of in the same boat together that this culture and language begins to crystallize. And we really see the manifestation in the 20th century, but it begins to crystallize during this period. And under U.S. occupation, these people have, these different groups of people begin to have common experiences, like being some of the African Americans to own land. Mm-hmm. And that they go through to maintain land ownership and it says regain land ownership um, becomes a part of their common identity. This is just such an amazing story and life and the amount of research that you've done. Again, I, I'm just in awe of it. Congratulations on everything. I have one real quick final question for you. I wonder what we can learn about Harriet Tubman's life, her resilience, uh, her willingness to fight for change, and, and the freedom yeah. that she gained as a result of that. What does that teach us all today? I hope it teaches us that I think it goes back to freedom not being free, mm-hmm. that we can't sit back on our laurels and rest and be comfortable with what we have achieved today, whatever that is. You know, her, her unremitting desire and just action of constantly reaching back and helping to pull other people into bondage. I think there are, we could help pull other people up. Mm-hmm a lot more than we do. And the selflessness by which she did it, you know, again, it wasn't something that was comfortable for her. She risked so that other people could be free. I think that we could learn a lot from her example. Thank you so much, Dr. Fields Black, for your time today, for being so generous. I know you've volunteered to read a passage uh, from your book. That's going to be so welcome to our audience, too. But I I just can't recommend this book highly enough, as well as your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates. Thanks for your time. Have a great rest of your day, Dr. Fields Black. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you. My thanks to Smithsonian Associate, historian, and author Etta Fields Black. Etta Fields Black will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out the Smithsonian Associates website and our show notes for more details in honor of Black History Month 2024. 
My thanks to the Smithsonian team for their ongoing support of the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. See that? And she went back to went, went back to her senses. So they're together right now and got a family. Just to show you how music, you know, can bring you back. If you ain't too far gone, if you just realize, you'll come back. That's right. And-